Greetings, Earthers, Martians, Belters, members of the OPA. Welcome to episode 20 of Expanse, the unofficial podcast. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker. And I'm your host, Nikki Starwalker. And today we are discussing the second episode of season two, Doors and Corners, one of my favorite uh, sayings of Miller's from from the books. Yes. So glad that that it's a thing in the show because I (laughs) I love that. Doors and Corners, Doors and Corners. That's where they'll get you. So Nikki, why don't don't you start us off today? Uh, what, What happens in this episode? Sure. Well, to begin with, we have a scene at one of the UN meetings, um, and Avasarala does this amazing thing where she kind of manipulates Aaron Wright into making a suggestion that ultimately uh, there's a lot of argument over it, and he basically suggests that they target another station in response to the Martians blowing up the Phoebe research station. Yeah, and I'm just speculating here, but my thought here or my guess is that this is a Vassarala's opening gambit to uh, perhaps finally take down Aaron Wright because up until now she's, she's been playing this part that Aaron Wright expects her to play. She, you know, we had the scene in the last episode where she agreed with his recommendation to kind of keep escalating and, and make a, a strong showing of, of earth force, which we know is not what she really wants to do. So I, I really thought when, when we see her like send this, this thing to him and, and give him this idea of attacking this outpost that I, I have a feeling that this is probably going to go badly and, and that her, plan is that when this goes badly, that Aaron Wright will be the one to to take the fall for it. So we'll have to see if that's what <laughs> happens. I hope so. I'm, I'm ready to see Aaron Wright get his just desserts. <laughs> so we also see in this scene, uh, Admiral Souther, uh, who I'm loving this character. I, I hope that we see more of him this season. You know, he takes a stand against Aaron Wright and the others. And, and you know, he thinks that they're they're using the wrong strategy here and and he's all for you know trying to smooth things out and keep things from getting out of hand mm-hmm. and you know no one's listening to him and so he ends up resigning uh command of the fleet and uh yeah i, I was sorry to see him go i think avasarala was sorry to see him go too but unfortunately right now her hands are kind of tied she couldn't really do anything about it Right. Yeah, he was furious, too. So then we go to Tycho Station, and Rasananti is returning, finally, to Tycho Station. And Fred Johnson is pretty pissed off. Um, you know, he's like, you guys don't call, you don't write, you know, you don't send cards on my birthday. What the hell? <laughs> That's right. And so the team explains to him what happened on Eros and that they saw the experimentation that was going on. And and, and um, you're just watching like John, Fred Johnson's yes. jaw slowly hit the floor throughout the scene. Yes. And his expressions change so rapidly. And you're just watching his face and he's absorbing this information and he's horrified. But then he's thinking about what he's going to do and how he is going to respond to this. 
I, I love what the actor did with that character. Yeah, I am. I am really digging him. And, um, you know, they, they tell him that, you know, basically whoever's whoever's pulling the strings here was basically doing a, a nice little experiment on Eros using humans as, as lab rats and that they're beaming all the data to this kind of off the grid communication space station and you know he wants to go you know tear some shit up and and go find out what's going on over there Mm -hmm. and and he convinces fred to to help him do that so then we have uh alex kind of uh being the tour guide for the belters that they rescued from eros and and again i'm i'm really digging alex like he is the humanitarian of the crew and, and he's the one that's worried about these guys. Are they going to be able to find jobs? Are they going to be able to fit in to this very different environment? And, you know, he's worried about them and, and he says something to Amos about, you know, we, we should really check up on these guys and make sure they're doing okay. And Amos is like, yeah, you do that. <laughs> I got better things to do. <laughs> and meanwhile, Amos is looking for the best bar. It seems like. <laughs> Yeah, and and so Amos and Alex have a drink together, and um, I gotta say, I know these are sets, but I really wish that these were real bars that I could go to. The these bars in the Expanse, I, yeah. I would totally hang out at these swanky bars. I'm, I'm the swanky space bars. I'm totally digging it. <laughs> yeah, and the music uh, was great in this episode. I noticed it the most in this bar. I don't know what song they had going on <laughs> in the background, but it was just, it was so great for the mood. And Alex is going on and on with this little speech he has prepared for Amos. Yeah, and I know they're producing this in Toronto. So if this is what bars are like in Toronto, <laughs> we might need to relocate, Nikki. I'm just saying. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I thought this was really funny. You know, you know, we talked about last episode how Alex is really struggling with with a lot of what's happening here. And, and I think, you know, he's really putting the human face on this. And, and I think, you know, Holden and, and Naomi are, are struggling as well. But but we're really seeing it from Alex. And he's kind of venting to Amos about, you know, you know, how he's worried about these people and everything that's going on and how, oh, I, I feel like we we could have or at least should have tried to save more people from Eros. And at some point he realizes that Amos is gone and and has told some strange woman <laughs> that, that he would buy her drinks if she would just sit and listen to Alex. <laughs> that was great. I love that. It was. And, you know, it's small, but the set design was wonderful. Like, for instance, her glass that she was uh, drinking out of while talking to him was round. I guess it had a flat bottom, but the way that they constructed it, what they bought was really neat. Um, Just all of the props in that show is wonderful. Oh, I mean, like I'm saying, if we had bars like that here in Bellingham, I'd be going out to bars a lot more. I'm saying. (laughs) Not that we don't have awesome bars here, but. (laughs) They're not that awesome. (laughs) So then we go to Holden and Naomi. They're they're doing some some kind of repairs or something on the Rossi. And uh, <laughs> I thought this was kind of funny. Like Holden seems concerned about Amos and and how Amos is going to feel about him and Naomi Naomi kind of you know hooking up and and whatever. 
and and I don't know that Naomi really put those fears to rest at all. I, I think yeah. if I was Holden, I'd still be a little concerned. I, I think I'd be having a little heart to heart with Amos if I was him. But we'll <laughs> have to see how that develops. So then we have uh, the scene where Fred is looking to recruit people for this mission that um, him and Holden and and everybody else are are going to take to this off the grid communication station, find out what's going on there. And uh, so he's trying to get, you know, some people to volunteer for this. And a particular guy starts giving him some some problems. Uh, we find out that he was behind uh, trying to blow up a Vasarala in the last episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've heard people talking about it. We've heard people threatening about it all since season one. And finally, we get to see it happen. Someone gets spaced. <laughs> yeah. And it, I actually have to say, if there was one point where I was a little disappointed, it was there. I don't know what I expected to happen, <laughs> but he is led out of the airlock. And it's almost comical because he drops downward which I'm sure there's some kind of scientific reason behind that. But instead of like flying out into space, he just like drops out of view. (laughs) Well, I imagine it has to do with the spin of of the station. Ah, Because that station is spinning for for gravity. Um, Yeah, I I thought that was actually really cool because, (laughs) you know, a lot of times when you see someone get spaced, in a like a show or a movie or something, they like fly out like a like a champagne cork out <laughs> exactly. of a bottle. And it's like, you know, that airlock wasn't that big. And and if you look at the size of the door compared to the size of the airlock, it's like that air had a lot of room to get out of. So there's no way that it would like shoot them out like that. So, <laughs> okay. so I thought it, it looked um, realistic. I thought that was pretty realistic. <laughs> Even though it, it might not have been what people expected, because again, so many times this is overdone. Um, it, I, I really appreciate, you know, the thought that's put into the effects on this show and and how they don't just give us what they expect, what we expect to see, but they they try to be more realistic, you know. And, yeah. and a lot of times, people give them flack about it because they're so used to seeing the tropes that when they see what it would really look like, they they think it's not realistic. Mm-hmm. Like the whole idea that, you know, you would freeze instantly in vacuum or, or whatever. You know? Right, right. We went round and round about that in season one. We're not going <laughs> to open that can of worms. No, please don't. <laughs> I can hear people typing their emails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I don't mean to give anyone any flack. I mean, this show, you know that I absolutely adore this show and I find it amazing. It's just well, no, that one you, scene. It, it was weird because you've seen that in other shows and right. that's not, the way you've seen it before. They go right. f- shooting out like they were out of a gun or something. <laughs> I know, and I kind of love that, like a Wilhelm scream. And they're just like, whoa! <laughs> so one of my favorite scenes in this episode was with Alex, and he's running through these simulations. At first, we don't know it's a simulation, so we see this fight um, with rail guns, I believe it was, and you're just kind of horrified because the Rosinante is getting hit, and we pull out and Alex is going through the simula- simulations over and over again, trying to get it right. And he's swearing as he's doing it because he can't get it down. Yeah. So, so the, uh, yeah, they're, they're getting, <laughs> they're in this kind of uh, catch 22, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't, because 
It's like if they engage too far away, then the stealth ship can take them out with its missiles. But if they engage too quick, then it takes them out with the rail gun. You know, I see. And, and I really like that because it's funny how seldom in science fiction we see people doing simulations. Mm-hmm. You know, where in reality, like that's the way it would be. Like you, <laughs> you. You do things hundreds of hours in the simulator before you do it in real life, you know, and and I thought that was really cool that that they showed that and that they showed Alex practicing for this engagement. It's not like he can just get it perfect the first time, like he does it over and over and you hear him swearing, you know, even in the next scene <laughs> below decks, you know, occasionally you hear Alex swearing up there because he, he's, you know, still struggling with with the simulation. Yeah, that was super cool. Yeah, and it made uh, the character, I don't know, it, it almost made him more heroic to me because then he actually goes through it and he he makes it, but um, it took so much practice to get there. Yeah, and th- this is another, you know, aspect of the show where, you know, I was talking last week about how, you know, one of the things I like about The Expanse is it just feels more realistic and it feels more immediate because the technology is closer to what we have now than than a lot of other space opera where it's you know so far in the future that it's practically magic and you know the the weapons on the ships are are a perfect example of that you know we we've got the the pdcs which are the point defense cannons which are um i don't remember i'm guessing they're like 50 caliber cannons but they might be even bigger than that i'm not sure which, which are you know very similar to the cannons that we have on fighter jets today and, you know, they use those to not only fire on other ships when when they're in close quarters combat, but also to take out enemy missiles as they approach. And then, you know, the ships have have missiles that they shoot at each other or torpedoes. And this is something total tangent here. OK, I'm really confused. You know, how do we decide when we're in space, whether we call something a missile or a torpedo? <laughs> I'm glad if, if, you're confused because I don't yeah, know. <laughs> if someone understands that, please explain it to me um, because I've seen in some space opera, they call them missiles. Like for instance, the Honor Harrington books, they they refer to firing missiles. Um, others, they they refer to torpedoes. And to me, I'm, I've, I've always, I mean, Star Trek has torpedoes, right? Star Wars has torpedoes. And that always confused me because torpedoes are a naval weapon. You know, they're, they're, underwater or surface water, you know, projectiles where missiles fly through the air. Uh-huh. So to me, it kind of seems like a missile would be a better word to use for something in space than a torpedo. But then on the other hand, it's like air and water are both fluids and space is a vacuum. So, so really neither of them really <laughs> fit, you know, it's like, so are we using air force terms or are we using naval terms? So I could see them saying torpedo just because, they're ships, and so often we use naval terms for the ships. We even call it a navy, in, right. you know, the space navy or whatever. So I'm I'm just confused. I, maybe it has something to do with the propulsion or the guidance systems. I don't know. Or perhaps it's just each author decides what they want. Well, and I feel like, and I'm not sure, but I feel like on this show, they've been referred to as both. I feel like sometimes they're they're called torpedoes and sometimes they're called missiles, but I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I know they re- refer to the Rossi as a, as a torpedo boat. So I, I don't know. But so anyway, they, you know, the torpedoes or missiles, whatever you want to call them, are like they're long range 
weapons that they fire from, you know, kilometers away, hundreds of kilometers, thousands. I, I, I don't know what the range of them are. And then so they have the, these point defense cannons that are, you know, project like they shoot bullets, you know, um, just like our, our fighter planes today have to take those out. And, and then they have the rail guns, which is something I don't know. Have I'm not sure if we've actually ever built. If, I'm sure someone somewhere built a rail gun, but, um, <laughs> you know, which use electromagnetism to propel a projectile at really high speeds. So again, they're, you know, these are, these are very analogous to, or analogous to weapons we have today. We have missiles and torpedoes today. We have projectile weapons, you know, and, and, you know, rail guns. I, I don't know that we really have rail guns, but you know, we have the capability to build them, you know, it, it's not beyond our technological ability to build them now. So to me, it, it just gives this level of realism much more than, you know, blasters or phasers, you know, which it's like, what is that anyway? It's like <laughs> high energy plasma or something, but, but, you know, it's, it's yeah. magic, you know? Yeah. So I just find the, the space combats in the expanse much more, kind of visceral and gripping and kind of edge of your seat than uh, other stuff, you know? And I love, you know, later in this episode when they finally do the assault on the station, you know, you see rounds flying through the Rossi. Like you oh, see yeah. the, the holes being punched in the hole and you see the kind of trail of debris that the bullet leaves through the interior of the Rossi because there's no atmosphere. Yes. How awesome was that? Yeah. I loved it. And just, just the thought of, Hey, you know, they would probably vent their atmosphere because otherwise, you know, it's like poking a hole in a balloon. If there's atmospheric pressure, the whole thing would explode. Like when you pop a balloon. So mm -hmm. obviously we would want to vent the atmosphere so that doesn't happen. But, but just that attention to detail, I, I really appreciate. Yeah, and everything still worked, even though there were holes and things. Yeah. <laughs> like the screen was still, you know, it was fine. There was a big hole, but. <laughs> and I like, you know, when they, they have to fix something, they actually have to go to the place with a wrench and fix the thing instead of just magically being able to do it from the computer pad where they're at. They can do anything on the ship from where they're at. Mm -hmm. You know, like like Alec or Amos has to go between the halls to fix the thruster at, at the one point. And, you know, the, you know, Alex can't do high G maneuvers because he's in between the halls and, you know, it would kill him. And, and so it's kind of like th there's this tension of, you know, we don't have full maneuverability until Amos fixes the thruster, but we can't even do high G, -G maneuvers right now because if we do, we'll kill Amos. And, and it was awesome. Oh yeah. It so, was great. And you got to see some really cool tech. Like the thing that Amos used to repair the thruster. Yeah, that was so cool. Mm -hmm. That was so cool. So I, I know I'm getting ahead. We usually like to go through the, the episode chronologically, but since we're already talking about it, sure. a lot of times we like to pick our favorite scene. And for me, this episode, hands down, my favorite scene was the assault on the space station and how, you know, the Rossi comes in and it's like hiding inside the ring of the space station. So the stealth shot can't or the stealth ship can't get a shot on it. And just that that entire sequence was just like edge of your seat. It was awesome. Yes. For once, we have the same favorite scene. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, we did last week, too. Oh, OK. We, we both uh, like the, the scene with uh, Bobby and 
and her marine squad on on Mars doing the training. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the special effects these last two episodes really made it for us. <laughs> yeah, that visual effects team, man. I know. <laughs> they are they are at the top of their class, I'm telling you. <laughs> All right. Getting back to uh more chronological coverage of this episode. <laughs> Where were we before I I got us way ahead of schedule here? It always kind of goes back and forth these two episodes um, bounce between characters. So we could talk a bit about um, Ava Sarala again. She's at a bar with Admiral Souther, who resigned in the previous episode. Yeah, and this was pretty cool. We, we finally see kind of both these characters kind of let their hair down. They drop rank. They drop the bullshit, as Ava Sarala says, and they both tell each other what they really think. And uh, put their cards on the table. And that was, well, of course, if Vassarella doesn't put all her cards on the table, she puts a few of them on the table. <laughs> I'd say one. <laughs> yeah, she puts, she shows them one card, but the rest of her hand is very close to her, to her vest right now. That's right. <laughs> In fact, she has another hand of cards no one knows about in her back pocket. <laughs> and I, for one, discovered that the Admiral thinks that Vassarella is a very different person than she really is. He clearly has no idea what she's planning. Right. And that's, that's the idea. Right. right yeah. Because she's, she's playing this kind of deep game right now where she's starting to put pieces together, but she doesn't want anyone to know. And, and she's kind of playing this part while she learns more and decides, you know, how she can best respond and, and what she can do because I think despite the terrible things we see her do, like in, in the first season, I, I don't remember the character's name, but there's the ambassador from Mars who's an old friend of hers from when she was a little girl and she ruins his career in order to find out where this stealth technology was coming from. She, she totally plays the guy, you know, and he has a little speech about how, you know, she'll do anything to win. And so she comes across as very heartless and cruel and calculating but at the end of the day everything she's doing is for earth and i think i i don't know that we've heard her say this but i think ultimately for the entire system i think she's really you know trying to do what's best for everybody but you know she's playing this very long game so you know when you look in the the present moment a lot of times what she's doing seems like like really terrible things but She's, she's got, you know, an objective that she's going towards. And I think that objective is kind of what's best for everybody. But because of this game she's playing, like, like nobody really knows that except right. her husband. That's right. Yeah. And the Admiral at this point, I think, blames her for the Martian ambassador's death. He doesn't realize that Aaron Wright's most likely behind his death. Right. We... Um, we find out at the end of season one that it, it actually wasn't a suicide and, and Aaron Wright most likely had him killed. Right. Yeah. And so while she's at this bar talking to the Admiral, she wants to know more about Fred Johnson. I think she's trying to get into his head and figure out what he's planning, where he's going, um, what well, his next move is. I think also that, you know, she has this discussion about Souther and we actually through this, we learned some more about Fred and we find out that the whole, you know, he's known as the butcher of Anderson station. 
and that this whole thing wasn't his fault. They were jamming transmissions from the station and Fred didn't know that they'd been surrendering for days. Um, and basically he was played by his superiors and kind of used as a scapegoat. Yep. And what Souther tells of Asarala is even though all this happened, you know, Fred never outed anybody. He never, you know, tried to spill the beans to try to clear his own name. He just walked away. And I, I mean, my theory about what's happening here is that that kind of gives Avasarala this glimpse at Fred's character. And I think at this moment, she's seeing him as a possible ally. She's like, this is someone like me who will, you know, do something that hurts him personally because it's for the greater good. Mm -hmm. And I think that the reason she wants to get in contact with him is she wants to join forces with Fred, even though, as Souther points out, it's treason for her to do this. Yeah. If, well, if anyone found out. Right. Her spy points it out because she talks to her spy and tells him that she right. wants yeah. a meeting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to her and, and Fred putting their heads together. I think amazing things will happen once they uh, join forces because I, I think that's what's happening because you almost saw her kind of light up when Souther kind of told her the real story of what happened with Fred. And, and before now, she's been kind of writing Fred off as a terrorist. And, mm -hmm. and now she realizes, oh, there's a lot more to this guy than what meets the eye, just like there's a lot more to me than what meets the eye. That's right. So uh, that is really cool. And there's just like the, some of the subtleties in this show is just amazing. I, I really dig it. Really rewards the list or the listener. <laughs> really rewards the the viewer who pays attention you know mm -hmm. and 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 you can kind of sit here and try to put pieces together and try to figure out what's going on and and be mentally engaged with it instead of just a passive um a passive consumer yes and and i think when we had bob and kaylin on the show last season you know that they talked about that like you know, the, the show really asks a bit more of you, but it's also so much more rewarding if you're willing to invest, you know, it, it pays off. Yeah. Yeah. And it invites you to be a true fan and watch more than once. Yeah. Awesome. So we have uh, this freighter ship that Fred's on um, that has the boarding parties, which I thought it was hilarious when... Uh, <laughs> these um boarding pods or or drop pods or whatever they call them are are FedEx cargo containers that they've <laughs> retrofitted for this um that that was awesome i love that i love that little detail <laughs> but but we've got um fred on the ship and and they've got these these two um boarding pods or or whatever they call them and then the rosi is actually in like the radar shadow of the ship and as they approach the space, space station, they have the Rossi kind of move apart, just tumbling on all its axes. So it just looks like a piece of space junk. And then they radio to the station saying, hey, you know, we've seen this, this uh, piece of space junk or cargo or whatever. And we're claiming salvage rights all as a way to buy as much time as possible so they can get as close to the station as they can before anyone realizes that something something's up. 
Ah, I see. Okay, I'm glad that you clarified some of that for me. I got a little bit confused there. So. Yeah, because they the the Rossi was completely powered down, and and it was tumbling. You right. know, it wasn't uh, oriented in any way. So on a on a radar or a lidar readout, it would just look like a piece of junk. Okay. And and so that was a way to kind of get it closer before they you know they powered up and fired up their engines and. And we're like, ha we got to you. <laughs> so then we have the scene with Miller uh, on the boarding pod. Uh, and, and again, you know, we're, we're constantly reminded in this episode that, that Miller is not used to space travel. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like the C-3PO of the expanse. I hate space travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's really funny because I'm, I'm reading some of the expanse, expanse websites has some summary on there for each episode. And they say Miller hates space and hates people and basically hates his life right now. <laughs> yes. And um, all of you Save Diogo people, I'm sure we're very happy to yeah. see a familiar face. <laughs> it was awesome. Very great to see Diogo back. I'm, I'm so glad he's back. Someone saved him. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so him and Miller have some great dialogue there. And um, kind of seem to do a little bonding, I think. I, I don't think either one of them would admit it, but I, I feel like they were kind of connecting a little bit there. And uh, <laughs> Miller loses his cookies, <laughs> which I actually think is a good thing because this was before he put his helmet on. That would have been a lot worse if he would have puked with the helmet on. So. Yeah. <laughs> but Diogo says that he'll keep an eye on the old man while they're, <laughs> while they're fighting. And I have to say, as someone who uh, myself lost my cookies on my one of my first pilot lessons, really, I, I, yeah, I, I kind of felt felt for for Miller there. Like, <laughs> it's very embarrassing, Aww. you know. You're trying to hold it together, and and you can't. And the instructor is like, "If you're gonna puke, stick your head out the window. <laughs> Don't puke in the cabin." <laughs> So then, you know, we have me, me and Nikki's favorite scene in, in this episode where we have the firefight between the Rossi and the station. And um, we've got some tension because the station has this uh, weapon that I believe they, they said was for shooting asteroids or something um, that they're going to target these drop pods with. And at this point, the, the Rossi's kind of... Uh, taken refuge within kind of the ring of the station so this stealth ship can't get a beat on them. But now they've got to kind of give up that cover to try to take out this gun before it blows up the the pods with all their people on it that are supposed to board the station. And just to add to the tension, we've got a thruster going bad. So now, you know, this is what we were talking about earlier. Uh Amos has to go between the halls and, and fix that, which is kind of limiting what Alex can do because he doesn't want to toss Amos around too much because then you'd have pureed Amos and, and that wouldn't be good for anybody. <laughs> yeah, I hate to say it, but I think Holden was having a hard time making that call between making an aggressive move with the ship and sacrificing Amos <laughs> or waiting until Amos was done with his repairs. Yeah, and I, I think that the way that we that he handled that, I think we see how... You know, Holden is kind of rising to the occasion. And, you know, you remember in the very beginning of season one, you know, the commander of the Canterbury 
was trying to to make him the new XO and and Holden didn't want the job. And Holden has said a few times in this show that he he doesn't want to be in charge. He doesn't want to be responsible for anybody but himself. And he's been stuck in this situation where he is. He feels responsible for everybody on the Rossi, not just because they're under his command, but also because he's kind of the one that got him into this mess because he's the one that logged the stress call from the scopuli way back in season one. Mm -hmm. And so he feels responsible and he is responsible for all these people. And even though he probably personally at this point doesn't like Amos very much and, you know, they've come into conflict and, and Amos is kind of this wild card, you know, this unpredictable element in the crew. He's still, you know, when push comes to shove, you know, he protects him and he, he takes care of his people and I think that that's a great kind of character moment for Holden that we see that. That it's like he puts his personal feelings aside. And even though it was risky, he, you know, he's like, now let's hold off and, and make sure Amos is okay. Right. So that, that was pretty cool. I, I, I'd like that. Big fan of Holden right now. <laughs> it's going to be difficult for me to be a big fan of Holden. <laughs> And we, we finally see in this episode what, what Nikki and I have been kind of waiting for. We, we see the, the budding partnership between um, Holden and Naomi, mm-hmm. which, which is, is nice to see. It'll be fun to see where we go with that. <laughs> it's finally out in the open. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think, um, I, I think they're going to be a really good team. You know, Naomi is very intelligent and very um kind of clear-headed like mm-hmm. she tends to see the big picture yeah and Holden is very passionate and very kind of driven by his emotions which a lot of times is is an asset to him and and it helps him do the right thing it helps him make those hard decisions but it can also get in his way and and we're we're seeing Naomi kind of help him navigate that and and help him you know not not beat himself up too much and, and not take on too much emotionally, you know, more than he should. That's right. She's kind of the voice of reason <laughs> in a lot of ways. And I think in a small way, Miller's also helping him with that. We saw Miller just kind of take people out um, on Eros when they were trying to escape. And, you know, you saw Holden watching his actions and yeah. kind of, absorbing that and learning that sometimes you had to make a tough call yeah. when you're put into a tough situation. Yeah. And, and so, you know, as we continue through, through this very gripping scene, um, the station takes out one of the boarding pods with, with this weapon um, while Amos is trying to fix the thruster and, and they're kind of holding back. And uh, luckily for all the fans of the show, it wasn't the pod that, that Miller was on. And uh, then, you know, Amos finally gets the thruster fixed and Alex, you know, does some some brilliant maneuvering of the Rocinante and they take out the weapon on the station and then Miller's pod breaches the station and they get into a firefight on the station. But then surprise, surprise, the, the guys on the station are shooting like I, I think they called them gel rounds. They, they almost seemed like like paintballs. Yeah, they did. And they they said it was for uh, subduing like prisoners. So they're non-lethal 
ammunition. Mm-hmm. Um, so they continue on. They, they find this very, very sci-fi, like all these people hooked up to this kind of virtual reality interface and, yeah. and completely unaware of what's going on around them. Um, some of the people are a little tri- trigger happy and, and they like gun all of them down, but one <laughs> before Miller can get them to hold their fire. And I thought that was really cool. I thought they did a really great job. I mean, as someone who's never been in a combat situation, let me just put that out there, but <laughs> seemed very realistic how they conveyed the chaos and, and how, you know, both those instances where, where they first, uh, get on the station. And then when they, they find all the scientists, where Miller's trying to get people to hold their fire and trying to get c- commands and it's just chaos and people are shooting and not listening. <laughs> and, and both times it, it takes him a little time to kind of get control of the situation. And, and I thought that was cool, you know, that, that it's just kind of chaos and, and he's trying to direct people, but when weapons are firing, you know, it's like people can't hear what you're saying or, or <laughs> the adrenaline's pumping in their veins and, and they're not paying attention Right. Yeah. And it was also interesting in that scene because when the um, scientists that were in these, I guess, these visors and these uh, machines hooked Mm -hmm. up to these machines, when that was interrupted and they came back into reality, they just seemed kind of crazy. Yeah. Like they just attacked Yeah, with no weapons or anything. They just lunged at the belters. And so then the belter shot. And then when you hear your, your neighbor shoot, you're going to shoot. Right. And that's how the chaos happened. But I did think that was an interesting, um, little detail there. Yeah. So, so Miller keeps one of those guys alive and then they, they continue on and they find dun 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 Dresden. <laughs> yep. Evil, evil Dresden. <laughs> and this was something, you know, I, you know, Nikki and I talked about, you know, we're not gonna talk about the books a whole lot on the show. Um, but this was something as this scene was playing out, I found myself wondering, is this gonna play out the way it did in the book? Because this was a very defining moment in the book had a lot to do with Miller and Holden's relationship going forward. Yep. And uh, it it did pretty much play out like in, in the book. Yeah. And even though I knew it was coming, I was still kind of shocked when Dresden was killed and Miller shot him. Yeah. So, so Dresden is explaining himself and he's explaining kind of this big picture, what they're doing. And... The frightening thing is, is the more this guy talks, the more sense he makes. And you see Fred Johnson being convinced and and even saying, you know, starting to 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 make plans for, okay, you know, this is the deal we're going to make, you know, mm-hmm. and Miller is kind of like, fuck this and shoots him in the face. <laughs> and that was the end of that. Yeah. And, you know, Dresden said that all the files were locked. So how are we going to get right. that research without him? Right. Definitely didn't seem a smart thing for Miller to do. Even though I, I have a feeling a lot of us were like, yes, when he did it. <laughs> yeah. So so I'm sure that there will be uh, some fallout of this. I'm sure this is something that will be gone over again and again uh, on the Rossi and uh, on, on Tycho Station with Fred Johnson, uh, what Miller did and how Miller kind of took things into his own hand there and was kind of like, screw everybody else and what they want to do. 
I'm, I'm doing this thing and, and takes this action. I mean, there's no going back, you know, the Dresden's dead now and, and what he knew is, is gone with him. And, and like you said, Nikki, you know, he at least claims that he's the only one that can access this data. And, and so now, you know, they're kind of screwed. But for whatever reason, Miller felt he he couldn't listen to this guy talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was interesting because Dresden was was ready to to go with Fred and, and was like, you know, I'll I'll give you access to all the stuff and I'll work for you, you know, and, and you know, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, if if things would have continued that way, you know, what would have been the outcome of that? How how would have Fred how would have Fred <laughs> This is amazing. How would Fred have handled that? Mm-hmm. You know, would he have been a good custodian of this very dangerous information or not? And I mean, we'll never know now. Right. Um, Miller Miller made sure of that. So, <laughs> I mean, I think at the end of the day, I think Miller probably made the right choice because I think, you know, the, the old cliche, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And as good of a person as Fred may be, you know, to have that kind of power, would he have really resisted the temptation to, to do something with it? You know, probably not. Probably would have convinced himself that he was doing it for good reasons, for the greater good, but... Yeah, and would it even have been possible to keep that kind of information safe? Right. I right. mean, all sides would have been trying to get a hold of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the same thing in the last episode with the protomolecule and the decision to hide it behind an asteroid somewhere. It's like, well, that is a risk because even though we're the only ones that knows where it is and, and theoretically no one could ever find it with, without us telling them, it's still a risk because if we destroy this thing, there's no chance that anybody can get a hold of it. But now we hit it somewhere. So all it takes is one of us talking or or whatever Mm-hmm. And and now, you know, maybe it gets into the wrong hands. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this develops and, and where this goes from here. But I think, you know, Nikki and I, and I have probably mentioned numerous times in, in season one of, of the podcast how this story continually escalates and how every season of the show, it's going to escalate. And I think... You know, you're seeing this first escalation now when you realize that this protomolecule is not some kind of bioweapon um, engineered by humans. This is something that came from outside the solar system by some alien form of life, you know, long, long, long ago. And, you know, so, so you know, we realize that the, the game's a lot bigger than we realized. And there are more escalations like that coming. So... Yeah, and strap in. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I mean, Dresden makes a very scary point when he asks if we're going to be ready for this. We don't know what, you know, this alien life is planning if there is a plan. So, will we even be ready now that we don't have the data that he collected? Yeah. Can we really be ready? Right. Is that even possible? I mean, we're like ants facing humans, you know. <laughs> What can the ants really do if the humans decide to exterminate them? There's not really much the ants can do to stop us, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, we've reached the end of episode two, Doors and Corners. Uh, any final thoughts on this episode, Nikki, or on the, the show overall? I'm so glad Diogo is back. Yay! 
Yay, Diogo! I thought he was shot when he was hit with the gel round. Yeah, well, yeah, he's had some close calls. That he was floating out, abandoned in space <laughs> last season. And yeah, then we sh- thought he was shot in the head th- this episode. <laughs> Boy, that guy has got a charmed existence, let me tell you. Yeah, really, really great to see Diogo back. I'm a fan. I, I have a feeling that, that there's more in store for him. I don't think this was the last we'll see of Diogo. Oh, yeah. I'm just so glad they didn't forget about him. <laughs> Who, the writers? Or? <laughs> yeah, the writers, the show. Oh, yeah. Remember Everything. this awesome character and this awesome actor? Yeah. <laughs> we remember Diogo. <laughs> <laughs> well, none of the other characters seem to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that... That's something I'd love to see. I, you know, he made mention when he was talking to Miller of, of how he was rescued. That'd be a great flashback I'd love to see is, you know, what happened between when we saw Diogo <laughs> abandoned floating out in space and, and, you know, where we saw him on this episode. I, I'd love a flashback kind of showing us some of what he went through kind of from his point of view. That'd be cool. Yeah, he must have earned his stripes, so to speak, though, because he yeah. was one of the, quote, 50 best that were chosen to uh, attack the station. Yeah. And and brave. I mean, he volunteered. Everybody volunteered. Mm-hmm. So even though, you know, as Fred pointed out, you know, that was part of the trick, you know, making them think it was their idea. But, but uh, still, you know, it was still their choice to volunteer, you know. Right. Fred's not that good, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Nikki, are you... Are you uh, are you digging season two so far? Was it was it worth the wait? Oh yes, very much worth the wait, and we we've picked up the pace now. Yeah. So we're we're heading into all the drama, and I'm I mean, so much has happened just this last episode. Yeah, yeah, and you know, to those listening, fellow fans of the show, I encourage you to tell your friends about the expanse. You know, it it amazes me how many people don't know about this show yet, and. You know, it's kind of fu- funny because I, I follow a lot of people on Twitter that are involved with The Expanse. And, you know, in this past year, almost since the end of season one, you know, even the last couple months, you know, there were people that were just now finding out about this show, just now seeing it. You know, it, it helped once they got it on Netflix for everybody outside the U.S. and Canada, you know, that, that all those great people could see it. And, you know, so even still, there's probably a lot of people who would love this show that for whatever reason, they, they don't know about it or they haven't checked it out. So if you know someone that, that you think would really enjoy The Expanse, you know, make sure they're watching it because they may not know about it or they may not realize how good it is and they, they haven't taken the time to check it out. So, you know, and, and the nice thing is, is, you know, season one kind of, I think they did a really good job of the pacing. And we've talked about this on the show before where every episode had a climactic moment and something exciting that happened. But all that said, it, it it was, it almost felt like season one was a big, long prologue, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Like it seemed like at the very end of season one, you started to realize what's really going on and what the real story is. And, And it was kind of this slow build, this slow burn up to, Oh, wow, this is awesome. And I think by now, you know, episode two of season two, it's like you can see it now. You can see that great things are ahead. So I think this is a great time for someone new to start watching. They have all of season one to watch and these two episodes to watch. 
And, you know, if you can watch all that and not be excited for the next episode, I mean, maybe check your pulse. <laughs> you, you might be walking dead. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think the show sells itself, you know, mm-hmm. if, if someone will just take the time to watch it. And yeah, the it's best only going to get is, better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that what you're going to say? That and that you can binge it. Yes. Yes. So if you don't know, if you're listening to this right now and you don't know, if you have Amazon Prime, all of season one is on Amazon Prime for for free. I mean, quote free. You're paying for Amazon Prime, right? But mm-hmm. you don't have to pay for the episodes. Uh, you can get season two on Amazon Prime right now. I think it's 30, like $29.99 for the entire season two in HD. Um, you know, we don't know you know, when and where it's going to be available when, um, you know, the folks at, at Alcon are the ones that, that have that knowledge, if anybody knows at this point. But uh, definitely keep watching and, and tell your friends. And while you're at it, tell them about our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should plug that too, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you would like to get a hold of Nikki and I and, and let us know what you think of The Expanse, let us know what you think about our podcast. Uh, you can head to our website, starwalkerstudios.com. You can see the show notes for this and all the episodes. You can email us, expansepodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter, at Lex Starwalker. I'm on Twitter as well, at Nikki Starwalker. So we'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Um, if there's anything that we missed, that, that you'd like us to talk about, uh, let us know and, and we'll be sure to hit it next time. That's right. And I'd like to take this opportunity to apologize for my cat. <laughs> if you hear her. Can we space her? <laughs> I don't know why she's crying. Because uh, we're podcasting and not giving her dinner. That's, That's right. <laughs> All right. So we will be back next week to talk about the next episode. So until then... Conserve your oxygen and your water. Resources are scarce out in the outer solar system. Invincible me. Flip and burn. Donkey balls. Doors and corners, kids. Doors and corners. <laughs>